At Operation Tango Romeo, we are on a mission to save lives and relieve pain by making peer support for post-traumatic stress disorder easily accessible. With a vision of a world where finding help and support is simple and the path to recovery is clear. I am your OPSO, Mark Meinke, and this is Operation Tango Romeo, the Trauma Recovery Podcast. And we're rolling in three, two, one. All right, everybody got to hear the walk-in music twice because it's part of the intro. This is episode 20 of Operation Tango Romeo, the Trauma Recovery Podcast. And what a special episode we have today, episode 20. We have a fantastic guest. I am thrilled to have her on the show, Liz Durhold. Liz, thank you so much for being here. Thank you so much for having me here. Well, Liz is not a veteran as far as I know, um, nor is she a first uh, responder. But the reason that I have Liz on the show is because she is a part of a fantastic organization in uh, Calgary that deals with childhood trauma and provides an environment where uh, young folk can overcome their trauma and live a full life. Now, it may seem a little bit off because this is Operation Tango Romeo, the trauma recovery podcast for veterans and first responders. But here's the deal. Trauma is trauma is trauma. And the truth is that the the more childhood trauma that you have, uh, the more likely that it, when you if you go on to uh, first responder or military career, the chances of you uh, being injured by PTSD is much higher, much, much higher, because uh, there's only so much room in the trauma cup. And also, it seems to be that people with higher t- childhood trauma gravitate to those types of professions for whatever reason, and I don't know why. Liz, thank you for being here. Thank you. This is really great. And well, awesome. Hopefully mm-hmm. we can get, uh, I imagine Redefined Calgary runs off of donations. They do. Well, all right. Um, uh, so we're going to talk a little bit about Redefined Calgary. And by the way, it's not spelled normally. So if you're looking for Redefined Calgary, it's R-E-D-E-F-I-N-D. Apostrophe D. Apostrophe D. Mm-hmm. Calgary.org. It's on Facebook and it's on the Google. Instagram. Instagram. Mm-hmm. Is that the best one for you? It's the one we're most active on. Yeah. So how long have you been with Redefined Calgary and what's your role there? I founded Redefined uh, in 2016 and we ran a pilot and then we have been in operation at the Bowness Community Center running a commercial kitchen for the last two years. Two years in February, actually. Okay. How yeah. did you get started? Um, that's a heck of a thing to get going. Yeah, I, it was circuitous. I was in oil and gas for 15 years and I started volunteering in group homes uh, as a way to stay connected and find something a bit more meaningful. And through the process of doing that and getting to know these young people, I worked at an agency that was focused on mental health. And as I got to know their stories and see what their lives were like, I realized that um, I wouldn't do a lot different. Wouldn't have made a lot of different decisions than they were making. And many of them were in and out of jail or really struggling with mental illness. Um, And I wanted to be an advocate for that. I wanted to see if there was a different way, if there was different chances we could give them. And so 
while I was volunteering with them, I, uh, I experienced the flood. So we live in Bonas and our house in 2013 got flooded. And all these young people that I'd been volunteering with in their group homes ended up at my house helping clean up flood mud and everything that was around. And there was a whole new, it was a whole new way of, in, of relating to them. So suddenly they were in my environment and they were very motivated. I saw a whole different side to what could be offered to them. And I became quite motivated after that to stay involved with them in a different way. So for two consecutive years, we um, worked at my own house and we built gardens and did things like that. And these young people who had come from very traumatic backgrounds, I was seeing a very different, like I said, motivated side of them. And, and I didn't know anything about trauma at that point. So I, um, from that stage forward, I took over, I ended up leaving oil and gas a couple years after that. And I took over the work experience program at the agency where they were at. And so for a year and a half, I ran, we started small social enterprises. So we worked with, uh, we built a huge garden of our own. We went and worked at local farms and started pop-up farmers markets. And, and that same agency started sending me on trauma uh, workshops and teaching me what trauma was. And it clicked for me why what we were doing was working. It was the science behind why what was unfolding in our soap shop that we started was working the way it was. And it was really about an experience, experiencing something different for them. So they come often from places of mistrust. Um, they haven't had a lot of relationships that give them self-esteem or um, strength. You know, like they, they have kind of an operating belief system about themselves. And what we were able to create in social enterprise and in this community of young people was um, a different set of experiences. So they were starting to run businesses and they were starting to participate in that. Additionally, they most of what we did was very creative. So it was triggering the creative side of the mind, which then I learned is a great tool in rewiring um, the brain and calming it. And so there was all these elements that we'd been that I'd kind of accidentally been putting together as a community. And then there started to be a lot more intention around what it was. So uh, a lot of what I've seen on, on the website or, or what, one of the um, uh, statements that really resonated with me is how the kids are disconnected from society. Mm-hmm. Could you tell me uh, how it is that they're disconnected and, and, and the effects of that? Yeah, they... And I think one of the books I've recently read that that kind of brought it home for me was Lost Connection by Johan Hari. So he writes in his book about a lot of the disconnections and it and has played out in our experience as well. They're disconnected from community of belonging, having people that they can lean on or support them. They um, They are disconnected from meaningful work, right? They don't have any sort of ability to be um, find meaning that way. Uh, they they are disconnected from a respectful place in society. So they um, they people don't value them. They have no place to to add value or be valued, right? So there's all these these areas that we need to be. We need to feel purpose. We need to feel like we have meaning. And these young people haven't had that experience, and they often come through systems where their belief system about themselves is that they're 
they're broken, right? And, and they can't manage this life. And, but they're not being given the opportunities to experience anything but that, right? So I would see often um, when I was first starting young people struggling with way more than what one human should struggle with and they would get a job and they'd get fired and then they get another job and they get fired and it just feeds the loop, right? So that kind of chronic disconnection. Can we, can we talk a bit about that? Because uh, I've certainly have experienced that myself. I couldn't hold a job for shit. Uh, no shortage of intelligence, no shortage of talent, no shortage of knowledge, mm-hmm. and no shortage of wanting to work hard. So w- w- what's happening there where people can't hold a job because of trauma? What's the symptoms that are causing that? There's just a, an emotional instability there. There's also a core belief system, and that's, I think, a thing that's unique to childhood trauma um, is that that the belief systems that we're operating on, the earlier that we were exposed to adverse relationships or um, really adverse experiences at a young age, that really forms how we think and feel about ourselves. And so these young people, when they come into their 20s, they've been, their operating system was formed at a really early age to be fearful of other people, to be out for yourself, that you can't rely on the people who are supposed to keep you safe. And you know, and if, and if some of that was, if anger was directed at you or you blame yourself as a child, which is what happens, you also form the belief that, that you cause bad things. You know, there's a lot of internal beliefs that, that get really pre-programmed that you don't even know are operating your older life. So you then become a 20-year-old and your way of coping is the same way of coping that you used when you were three or five. Mm-hmm. And that can be anger or disassociation and things that really don't serve you then as a 20 year old. Especially if you have a boss that um, maybe doesn't have the best interpersonal skills and you don't like how they're talking to you. Yes. And so then you react in a disproportionate way to, to something that happens to you. And so that that's no different than adult trauma. That is, that is for sure. Mm -hmm. Um, Are you familiar with the veterans association food bank? I know of them. So there's two food banks in the entire country for military veterans. They're both in Calgary. There's the Veterans Food Bank and the Veterans Association Food Bank. The reason that there's a veterans, that there's the food banks, uh, is the effects of PTSD uh, often end up in homelessness or any trauma uh, ends up in homelessness. And that's why, because you lose a job, then you lose another job, then you lose another job. And you get to a point of, oh my God, I just, I can't not take that kind of rejection one more time. It's just too much. It's a horrible thing. Uh, the last job I lost was a pretty good kick in the guts. That's why I'm a realtor now. And because um, nobody can fire me except my clients and I'll <laughs> go get another one. It's no big deal. Uh, and a lot of trauma survivors do end up being entrepreneurs for exactly that reason. There is no other choice. Mm-hmm. That makes, that is... Makes sense. Also, if you've processed your trauma, and I think this is one of the sort of jumping a little bit ahead with redefined is one of the things that I believe about it is that if we can help these young people heal from their trauma, that overcoming also makes them incredibly strong humans that will be exceptionally good entrepreneurs if we can align them um, after their recovery with a sense of purpose. They they will have the courage to to be entrepreneurs because they're because they can navigate risk well. 
I agree completely. And when you break an arm, the healed arm is three times stronger than it was before it was broken. Mm-hmm. Now, when you're suffering from trauma, you're injured, not broken. You're, just, mm-hmm. you're injured, but injuries can heal, but you got to set it in the right cast or, or it could be a mess. Mm-hmm. But uh, the, the term that I keep hearing and I really like is post-traumatic stress growth. And I think that's what we're talking about. It is. Um, it's what, it's the person that you are on the other side of it. It's a tough, tough hill to climb. But when you climb it, uh, and the earlier you get on it, the better as well. Uh, when you're undiagnosed and untreated for 20, 30 years, it's a much bigger mountain to climb. So God bless you for, for having those kids now uh, where you can, there's still the neuroplasticity and you can get to them early and, and make a, a bigger change in a shorter period of time. So uh, part of the website uh, says that it's an environment where there's an opportunity to heal. Heal is hoping you could explain what that environment's like and, and how it is set up so that kids can heal. What does that environment look like? Well, our young people are 18 to 30. So that's the age range we um, target. The reason for that is they're, they're out of child services usually by that point. And um, if they've been in child they've services. They've aged out. Yes, they've aged out. Uh, and additionally, they, that's the age in which they want to put something together. They're old enough to realize they have to put their lives back on track, but there's, not, there's nothing left at that point. So what we offer is a compassionate workplace. And we run a commercial kitchen at the Bonus Community Centre. We are involved in a bunch of um, different activities. We engage a lot with community. So we spend a lot of time using our kitchen to work with local seniors and connect with the community that way so that we can build strong relationships with them, give them an experience of interacting with community in a, in a healthy way, which they, obvious, which they often haven't had. And we also create, we're creating a commercially available product. So we make hand pies. Everything in the kitchen is made entirely from scratch. So we do that again to get them into a meditative space to use creativity and hands-on work to, um, to tap into calming, bringing down that stress response. And so when people first come in, they come in at that, in, into that work environment and they start engaging in that way first and then they slowly um they slowly connect with their peer-to-peer group that takes a little bit longer but then they start to work peer-to-peer they're surrounded possibly for the first time in their lives by a community of people doing the same work right it sounds a lot like mindfulness is is what i'm hearing Uh, the creativity the crafts working on this and working on that. That's, that's all mindfulness is p- uh, pieces. Do you guys do like group meditations and, and mindfulness classes as well? We're bringing that in uh, slowly. Uh, the space that we're in right now at the community center makes some of the delivery of that a bit challenging, but we definitely hope to grow into it. We are working with people teaching yoga. Um, we do have a sharing circle every morning where people check in with each other and support that way. And, um, we have been working with other trauma specialists to work on that as well. But at the moment, the biggest way is through the meaningful work piece. I don't know if you're familiar with um, Martin Brokenleg, but he has uh, a circle of courage model and his book is called Reclaiming Youth at Risk. And the four pillars 
that are loosely tied to kind of where we focus are belonging, independence, uh, mastery, and spirituality. And so we really try to tie, make sure that every experience we bring into that space elevates one of those areas because you're trying to, you're trying to multidimensionally reconnect young people to themselves, to community and to meaningful work, to a sense of purpose. So that sense of connection is so critical. Mm-hmm. Uh, I'm willing to put money on uh, the idea that most of the people that come to you probably feel like they're the black sheep of the family or the, or a black sheep of society in, in general. Right. And so since that belief system will be have been acquired by them experientially, mm-hmm. our idea is to experientially undo it and then recreate a new reality. Right? Well, it becomes a bit of a self-fulfilling prophecy because the uh, symptoms of trauma, the outbursts, uh, inability to get a grip on your temper, uh, what people call ADHD, which is mm-hmm. um, it might not even be a thing. Uh, research is starting to go that, no, that's not actually a separate thing. It's a symptom of, of uh, trauma injury. Mm-hmm. And um, it's not an independent thing. And uh, so just giving it Ritalin doesn't really do a lot. You got to deal with the trauma. So all those things together, uh, uh, lack of impulse control, poor decision making, because uh, you're you, you just um, poor impulse control. <laughs> or fear, yeah. fear of others, fear. right? So just mm. thinking that, and, and perhaps this has played out again, like you said, self-fulfilling prophecy. Um, it's probably been true for them those relationships probably have been unsafe. And when you have someone, some of my young people through foster systems or the justice system, they really have had a lot of unsafe, un, you know, people not in their court. And so when they come in and they're distrustful and they're reactive, um, those have, that's a, it's true. <laughs> yeah. And so we offer the space that, that is different. So when young people come into our program for the first six months, we're, we are the ones providing the safe space landing pad. And that's really all we. What are sort of the rules of the safe space that keep it safe? Uh, they're co-created by them. The whole program is co-created by them. So any rule that we set is set um, in a meeting. We have monthly that we call a whiteboard meeting and we get together and we discuss exactly what you said. Is there something that makes people un- feel unsafe? Is there something that makes people feel um, frustrated with other people like how do we want to address these things and over time that has formed into a loose governing document for our community I won't say rules <laughs> but um, it's it's teaching them to to open up it's also teaching them uh, mentoring them to become peer supports for others to be understanding of what other people are going through so especially when someone comes in in that first few months and there is poor emotional control and they might be set off by big groups of people or sharing in front of others uh, to be supportive of that. And, and instead of judging that to, for them to also learn, like remember that that's where they were at and be supportive so that there's a safety created in, in that community to say, we, we know what you're going through now and we're here for you. We're listening to you. And so it's really a, a group safety, willing to um, walk through together, right? And so I think that that's what's a bit unique about about the program is it provides a space where a lot of 
people are going through a similar experience that's not a normal, like not normalized in society, I guess. Feel your feelings, right? So they come in and we want to feel our feelings together. Like, are you afraid? Can we help you? Can we support you in some way? And they're just not used to leaning on anyone that way. So there's a, there's a struggle with vulnerability at the beginning. Like how, you know, they'll lean on someone and then they'll be, oh my goodness, I don't, I don't lean on people. So this feels really weird. (laughs) Right. Used to being independent and on your own and figuring out yourself. Mm -hmm. And so there's a fear in having to rely on other people when, when they first come in. And so the safe space is about honoring that. Do you have any professional clinical support? We're working with people peripherally. Yes. Um, Not in-house. Not in-house. So we have different, yeah, we've had different consultants in and out as well. Uh, Peer-to-peer is where we rely at the moment. You'd think that uh, there'd be psychology students uh, that Mm -hmm. would want to volunteer their time. And that might be true. Um, uh, Yeah, in the future, we we may go down that road. I'm really careful about the who we who we bring in that they're very trauma aware and they're Mm -hmm. very aware of the way we approach it. So, the core of a lot of emotional trauma is is a lack of safe, secure relationship. And that can best be attained through non-professional um, lines. So to have as many non-professional relationships as possible is important as well. Mm-hmm. Yeah, the relationship with clinicians, it's um, a lot of clinicians have their own issues themselves. It's why that they're, they're, they're clinicians. I think I'm crazy, so I'm going to learn all about myself. And um, and every therapist needs a therapist. They do. Yeah, we all do. We oh, all for should, sure. right? Well, I, I agree with that. I mean, uh, it doesn't matter who you are, you're going to experience trauma in your life. And it's just a matter of degree and frequency. And a lot of the kids that are coming to you, and uh, or young adults that are coming to you, um, they have stories that the average person can't even fathom. They can't even wrap their head around it. Yes, that is true. And And so there's, in our next stage of development, there is a there's a desire to bring that support in around us and making, and we have some connections now that are, that are looking really promising for making sure we're bringing in people that really understand the trauma recovery process, uh, the rate at which we want to do that, which is especially for these young people, these traumas weren't accumulated overnight and they're not going to be resolved overnight. So our program is turning two years old. We're seeing our first young people, through 15 months of the program so we are playing with how long the program is going to be it's going to be 18 months um, based on some of our mentors in the field or two years or longer three years we're playing with what that looks like for our community but we want people that um, any support people that come in around us to to respect that we are taking this process slowly and that we want long-term recovery well that's the only thing that matters Mm. you know um, one of the challenges with uh, any sort of peer support program, mentoring program, is that when people start feeling good, they think they're done, and they're not. And then they regress, and then they're embarrassed, and they don't want to come back. And um, uh, it's it's a long process. And I don't think that there's a done point, really. Not really. Uh, people always have to be working on themselves. People that have suffered significant trauma have to guard against complacency. Uh, 
if you have sustained a very significant trauma, you've got to be on guard and be on top of your health and, and keep physically active and do all the things. It's an activity. Recovery is an activity. Recovery is not passive. You have to do something. You have to take action. You have to actually do the mindfulness bit, whether it's arts and crafts or, or whatever it is, uh, different mindfulness exercises. You have to actually do it. You have to read the books. You have to, um, you have to make an effort or listen to the podcasts. <laughs> but um, if there was one thing that you could say to uh, uh, an audience, somebody that's listening to this podcast right now, where they know of a young person at risk, uh, how do they, what would you say to them? if they don't know how to address it, they don't know how to talk to this person, they don't know how to um, get them into Redefine Calgary to, to have a visit and check it out, what would you say to them? To someone who's looking at bringing someone in, um, that healing's possible. I think one of the things that we've really come against with a lot of the short-term solutions um, is that people have a, you know, and they might have been through quite a few of those short-term solutions, not solutions, but what they think is the, is healing them. And then they fail at that, right? Repeatedly. I've been to this eight week program. I've been to this other one and, and I'm not better. And there's a real thinking out there for these young people that, that, you know, I'm broken and none of this is working for me, so I'm never going to get better. And, and for me, it's that there is hope, like you can do this work, but you have to be invested exactly like you said. So when people are sending referring people to redefine the biggest thing we look for is your readiness to engage in that right so um, are you in a mindset that's ready to take this on for yourself so there's we provide the space we provide the peer-to-peer we provide the structure but where's your mindset at right and so if you're ready for this change it takes an enormous amount of work it takes even more courage (laughs) and and it takes a commitment to yourself because you are going to regress and you are going to have some hard times in that and you have to be willing to push through it and you have to be willing to commit to yourself. So I have young people that get on the bus for an hour and a half in the morning to get to where we are and and that just takes an enormous amount of commitment to yourself. So it's possible and that's what I would want people to know is that there's there's a way to invest in yourself and, and have lasting change and get through the other side of it. I have a theory I'd like uh, your your um, feedback on. See sure. what you, see what you think. My theory is that the go no bo- the go no go point for whether or not somebody is ready for a peer support group or ready for therapy or, or ready for the road to healing is the victim mentality. I believe that if somebody's not willing to let go of that and look at life differently, if somebody isn't willing to let go and say no, I. I am not disempowered as a victim. I have the power to make different choices and overcome this. I, the, my, trauma is not my fault. Whatever happened to me was not my fault, but it is my responsibility to get better and let go. And I'm ready to let go of being a victim. I'm tired of being a victim. To me, that's the go, no go point, And that's the screening tool. Uh, what, what's your thoughts? 100%. We've seen it 100%. Yeah. That if people... That was yesterday's show was the oh, barrier, was <laughs> the barrier, the number one barrier to healing. It seems like I have consensus. Yay. Yeah, yeah, yes. And we're, and actually exactly what you said, the, that's the screening is we're, 
looking at that now upon intake into the program is how do we identify where people are at in that in that spectrum of themselves. So we do allow people to come back as many times as they need because we realize that sometimes the first time through is not the time that you've let that go enough. Uh, so there's there's just a, a mutual agreement that now is not the right time. And when it is, you can come back. So we have that policy in place so that people uh, feel safe enough to return when they do decide they've had enough, but they have to decide that. There's no amount of us doing that that, that brings someone else there. And so... Um, and there's no amount of the support community really that gets people there quicker either. You have to decide that for you. You do. Yep. And it, recovery is an activity. It isn't passive. It's not a pill. Uh, coping is not a, <laughs> is not healing. No. Coping is not healing. I've done a few shows on that as well. Uh, cause I, I hear I'm healing with cannabis. No, you're not. <laughs> no, you're not. Uh, I use cannabis at night. It, it helps uh, reduce the nightmares. It's wonderful for that for me personally. Um, but that's not healing. I can't wait until I don't have to take it at night anymore. Uh, but that's healing when you don't need it. When you don't need the coping, that's healing. That's healing. Anything to close with? I, um, I really hope it, like we are looking to scale it. I, one of the things we talked about just before we started is I have mentors in the field. Um, Homeboy Industries was the first place I ended up and checking out their program that's been in operation for over 30 years in downtown Los Angeles. They have 300 to 500 ex-gang members, ex-cons working in their 15 plus social enterprises and they're doing trauma recovery. They don't talk about it from that perspective unless you go, but they're, that's what their angle is as well. And they are having, um, the, they're one of the best in the world at what they do. And in October, I was in San Patriano, Italy at an addictions treatment center that's 41 years old there. It's a 750-acre farm where 1,300 recovering addicts run 55 social enterprises in a peer-to-peer community with very little medical support. They have an on-site hospital. Uh, The doctor that runs their program and their hospital is a graduate of their program, and then he went to med school and came back. And so their approach to addiction is heal heal the person, not the drug. And so they're doing peer-to-peer trauma recovery work um, using meaningful work and community to do that. So. I think the key there is the meaningful. I um, uh, So many conversations that I have, what I find with trauma su- survivors more than the general population is they need a sense of purpose, a strong sense of purpose to get out of bed. And I also find that a sense of purpose is a tool to combat depression. The stronger your purpose, the less hold the depression has on you, the easier it is to get out of bed like a kid on Christmas morning. The stronger the por- the purpose, the easier it is to get out of bed. And these programs where they're active and they're doing something and they have purpose, uh, great for the self-esteem, great, it gives them something to do. Without a sense of purpose, uh, people's lifespans are very, very short. They retire and die because they aren't creative enough to have, <laughs> to have projects that they're doing. But people with projects with something to do, they live longer. I think it's the number one thing. Mm-hmm. So looking at these programs is like this scale of healing is possible. San Patriano is one of the most successful addictions treatment center in the world with the lowest use of prescription medication. So 
in my journey, looking at what my mentors have done and, and how long they've been, the decades they've been doing it, um, what you said before um, about it being connected to so many things is the realization of today is uh, trauma is not just the base for addiction. It's not just the base of, you know, criminality. It's homelessness and mental illness. It's at the base, the root of all of those manifestations. And so now what's possible in Calgary is for us to look at what does an actual trauma recovery center look like, regardless of the, your silo of di your um, diagnoses or manifestations of that. And so, um, yeah, there's there's potential out there and we're learning from the best of the best. And now we want to bring that to Calgary. And if only our mental health system, if we had one, we just don't even have one. We don't have a mental health care system. But look what it would do if we can get to the kids early, you know, before they become young, young adults. The earlier you get to it, the easier it is to treat. Uh, our prison population would be pretty much empty. Think of the tax dollars that that would save. And our, our prison population, what if we changed it from incarceration to rehabilitation? Because it's not rehab. It isn't. They go in, they come out, they're the same person or worse. They're, it's like college for criminals in there. And almost everybody in that prison, uh, Theo Fleury, again, I'll, I'll mention him, uh, he's been doing a lot of work in the prisons. And he tells me that the common denominator, these are all trauma survivors. And there's some intelligent people in there, uh, some, some smart cookies. Just they're dealing with the trauma and all the things that comes with that, the self-esteem that's in the toilet and uh, the lack of impulse control and all the things that lead to criminal behavior because they don't know what else to do. It's not that they're evil so much. They just don't know what their options are. I believe their option should be entrepreneurism, but they're just not aware of that. They're not aware of that and they're not given the opportunity for that. We have... And they don't have the self-esteem for it. To have your own business, you have to feel like you could actually run your own business. But when you're a criminal, a property crime criminal, that's your own business. You're already doing it. You just don't realize that it's a, there's another way to do it. You could do it legitimately within the system. You can. A lot of them too, a lot of the young people that I see as well is poverty just becomes a trap in that as well, right? So when they choose to do something different for themselves or leave the lives that they want, they're suddenly living on very little money, um, bouncing house to house, not able to keep up with rent, like the the realities of trying to make that change become grinding in themselves. And, and they're so, hanging out with kids that are doing the same thing. Are. So that's their peer support group. So that's yeah. their reality. Yeah. And if they do start to uh, climb out of the bucket, uh, uh, the people that don't want to climb out of the bucket, pull them back in. Crab bucket theory. It is. And so Redefined was part of, was that, was realizing that a lot of these young people, when they finally made the decision to want to change, where is that peer group that's doing something different? Like they don't, you can't walk into a Starbucks and find just find new friends. Mm -hmm. So you're still in that, you're still in that pond and you can't get out of it. So you have to, this was a place where young people could come and be surrounded by people on a similar path. It's critical. It's the rule of five. Uh, you are the sum total of the five people you hang around with the most in every way, in attitude and finances and uh, happiness uh, career choices, you're a product of your immediate environment, whoever the five people are that are closest to you. If the five people that are closest to you are in and out of jail, you're going to be in and out of jail. If they're going to university or uh, starting a business, that's how you're going to end up. Yes. And then they, they're they also on the same path, so they can validate each other, right? So mm -hmm. when And the encourage time, each other, so to turn them down. Yeah. And when it gets really rough, 
you know, I went through that too mm. and support through that and put a little context around it and what happens on the other side of it. And that's where peer to peer just becomes so enormously supportive. I'm a mind reader. Did you know that? <laughs> Let me read your mind right now. I'll go back into the history of about three years ago when you started Redefined as the founder of Redefined and I'm reading your mind and it is telling me that all kinds of people were lined up around the block to tear you down and tell you it was a stupid idea and that it can't happen. It'll do no good. You can't do it. Am I accurate? Yes. Yeah. <laughs> when I Isn't that amazing? <laughs> I do find this amazing. Yes, that this happens in this realm. So when I started the first program I started under another agency when we finally parted ways they said it will never work and you're being too nice to them so you can't stay here <laughs> so it was um yeah, how dare back, you how dare you have <laughs> compassion and empathy I look back at it now and I think you know if I was listening to trauma stuff on my way out here and I know now that I can that that trauma because it was has integrated for me because I can look at it with um gratitude because mm. it was painful enough to make me decide to do this which has been a really hard slog <laughs> a long journey right um, going against the grain and really standing up for these young people what's um, been your biggest motivator who's been your biggest supporter them absolutely 100 yes. them and so the graduates of our program that are now at pastry and baking school at SATE. If you want to look at the December Wonderful. issue of Culinary Magazine, we're in there. <laughs> and one of our graduates is interviewed. And um, it's it's a demonstration of what's possible and what they can overcome. And when she left, uh, graduated in September and started attending SATE, she said to me, redefined is what the world needs. And we need people that are teaching us like you to be kind to ourselves, but also to be kind to others the way that you are to us. And she said, this is what everybody deserves this, what we have here. And I don't want you to give up. So if you're listening to this and you feel like throwing five bucks, or if uh, you have a larger company and you're looking to be a benefactor of something that's worthy, redefine Calgary, Liz Derhold. Liz, thank you so much for being here today. And uh, I hope that the military first responder audience um, gets it of, of why uh, we're, 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 to me, this is not straying from the path at all. The, again, to recap with what I said in the intro, trauma is trauma is trauma. Don't compare yours to anybody else's. It doesn't matter if it happened in a war zone or it happened in, uh, in your house. Trauma is trauma is trauma. The effects are the same whether uh, you are a military veteran, a firefighter, or any kid that uh, has been neglected, abused, told that they're worthless, the net effect is the same, and we are all in the same boat fighting the same fight. Yes, we are. Yes. Thank you so much for having me today. This has been fantastic. Liz, it's an absolute pleasure, and I, I have a feeling we'll probably do this again. Be great. All right. This is Operation Tango Romeo, the Trauma Recovery Podcast. At Operation Tango Romeo, we are on a mission to save lives and relieve pain by making peer support for post-traumatic stress disorder easily accessible with a vision of a world where finding help and support is simple and the path to recovery is clear. I am your OPSO, Mark Meinke, and this is Operation Tango Romeo, the Trauma Recovery Podcast.